stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Our text for today is going to be John 1, 1 to 4, and 1 John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You may be seated. Thank you, man. Amen. It is what we know as Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is a Sunday that we set apart every year to remember and to celebrate the fact that we believe that human life is sacred, um, that it should be protected, that all of human life, from the womb to the tomb, as they say, all human life is sacred. Because every person you meet, four things are true about every person you meet, and this is why human life is is sacred. Number one, every person you meet is made in the image of God. In the beginning, in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. And so in the image of God, he made them male and female. He created them. So we were made in the image of God. Later in chapter 9, it says, you shouldn't take human's life because a human was made in the image of God. So that's number one. Every person you meet, you have never met a person who wasn't made in the image of God. The second thing about them, though, is that that image has been marred by sin. Every person you meet has sinned. Ecclesiastes 7 says, there's not a righteous man alive who never sins and always does what is right. This is how it happens. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. Uh, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I could do this all day. Every person you meet is made in the image of God, but that image has been marred by sin. But every person you meet, there's a third thing true about them, and that is Jesus died for them. That The perfect image of God, which was Jesus. Jesus, it says in Colossians 1.15, is the image of the invisible God. He came and died on the cross for them. I, I know maybe some people don't, don't believe that. Well, maybe Jesus didn't die for everybody. You know, he, he didn't love everybody. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. First John 2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, but not just ours, the sin of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. Right? So everybody you meet is made in the image of God. But, but they've sinned. That, that image has been marred by sin. But number three, Jesus died for them. I, one of my favorite quotes from John Wesley was, he said when he saw a beggar coming to him, he didn't see someone in tattered clothes, covered in dirt. He saw someone purpled over in the blood of Christ. 
That is good. Every person you meet has a fourth thing about them, and that is they're going to spend eternity somewhere. Every person you meet. Jesus said in Matthew 10, he said, listen, don't be afraid of somebody who can kill the body, and that's all they can do. Fear the one who, after killing the body, has the power to throw your soul into hell. What's the point? Everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. So every single person you meet, those four things are true. You've never met a person that those things weren't true of them. So that should affect how we treat people. All people. Strong people and weak people. People at work, at school, at Kroger, at Starbucks. People that you watch on YouTube or on TV or you interact in social media platforms. Elderly people and young people. People in nursing homes and people in the womb, Asian, African, European, Latin, uh, Hispanic, Australian, Native American, people from the Caribbean, from the islands, people who listen to salsa music or country music or rap music or rock music, people who live in a city or a village or in the suburbs, people in Abu Dhabi or Calcutta, Riyadh or London, Moscow or Washington, D.C., even New York City. No matter how educated they are or they aren't, if they're illiterate or they have a PhD, whether they have a properly balanced retirement portfolio or they're begging for bread on the street corner, listen, whether they're a Calvinist or an Arminian, I know, I'm getting crazy now, whether they agree with us on life and marriage or don't, whether they love Jesus or the most hardened atheist out there who doesn't even think Jesus ever existed. Every single person you meet, everyone, is made in the image of God. They've sinned. Jesus died for them. And they're going to spend eternity somewhere. Every single person you meet. So what? So as believers, and that's who we are, as believers, we treat people with dignity, respect, and the honor that the sacredness of human life deserves. This week, ironically, I was working on this message when uh, a friend called, and I was actually trying to work on the sermon, you know, and he just wanted to talk. He just was like, he was talking, talking. I'm like, dude, I'm working on the message. Uh, and, and, but he just he needed to get something off his chest. And so I, I looked down at my notes, and I realized the incongruity between what I was studying and how I was acting. So I just felt like the Lord said, he's made in my image. I died for him. Pay attention. So I just said, okay. What you want to talk about? And I just thought, well, if the sermon's bad, I'll just blame him. It just, you know, so there's a plus on that. Here's my point. This, these four things that are true, that ought to affect how we treat people when a visitor walks in our building. They're made in the image of God. Jesus died for them. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. When you go to Starbucks, the barista is not a machine. They're a human being made in the image of God. So what? So we should treat them with the dignity and respect and honor that the sacredness of human life deserves because Jesus is the one who gave us that life. Now, we've been in this series. This is week three on the Gospel of John. We're still in the prologue. (laughs) Might take a while. But one of the themes that runs all the way through the Gospel of John, and by the way, it runs through the letters of John as well, and suspiciously also in the book of Revelation, the, the theme that runs from beginning to end is the theme of life. John wants you to experience for yourself, 
Not just read about somebody else's experience. He doesn't want you to just read about first century disciples experiencing life. He wants you, 21st century disciples of Jesus, to experience this life. He wants you to know why this life is important, where you can find life, and how to get it. This is what John wants you to know. Why is it? Where is it? How is it? So throughout his gospel, John is going to constantly bring up this theme of life because he wants you to encounter this life. So let's just look at those things real quickly, just in the Gospel of John. Why is this life so important? Well, John is over the top about this life because it's not just any old kind of life. He's not talking about sucking oxygen in and having your heart beating, though that is kind of important. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, there are three primary Greek words that in the New Testament get translated with the word life, okay? So the first is bios, and it, and it just refers to the physical body, like air going in and being a body, being alive. It's where we get the word biology. John never uses that word. Now, it's used in other places in the New Testament, uh, in, in Greek literature. Bios was something that was used a lot. John never uses it. There's a second term for life, which was suke. Which, which refers to like the life, the psychological life of the human soul. It refers to the soul, which we tend to think of as mind, will, and emotions. We tend to think that way about the soul. John does use that word a few times. It's where we get the word psychology. But there's a third word, and it's the word that overwhelmingly John uses. It's the word zoe, which refers to uncreated eternal life of God. It's the divine life uniquely possessed by God himself. Now, there's some overlap between the three words, like the semantic domains aren't perfectly hermetically sealed, right? They kind of do go over each other. But zoe almost exclusively means eternal life. In fact, most of the time when it's there, it has a modifier, eternal life. And sometimes it doesn't say eternal life, but even when the eternal is not there, that's what it's talking about. And we, we have this even in English, right? I, had a, I was reading about a guy, he was driving down the road and he had a bottle of water and he was drinking a bottle of water and his son, who had learned to read, was sitting in the, the passenger side next to him and they went by a great big billboard and the billboard said, don't drink and drive or you could go to prison. And the little boy rebuked his dad. He chastised him, he's like, what are you doing? You could go to prison, don't you know the law says don't drink and drive. And he says to his son, no, son, it doesn't, it doesn't mean like don't drink water. It means don't drink alcohol and drive. Well, it's, it's like shorthand. We know that. When someone says, you intuitively know this, right? When somebody says don't drink and drive, you know what they mean is don't drink alcohol and drive. And the little boy said, well, that's not what it said. It said don't drink and drive. Now, here's my point. When, when John says Zoe, it's shorthand. Just like don't drink and drive is shorthand for don't drink alcohol and drive, zoe is shorthand for eternal life, the life of God, something more than oxygen in our lungs or our heart beating. And here is what, where John's treatment of life would have blown the mind of first century readers because almost all contemporary Jewish literature, reaching all the way back to Daniel chapter 12, which is going to talk about eternal life, reaching all the way back there and all the way through the first century, an area, a time what we know of is called Second Temple Judaism, all that literature said eternal life was something that was relegated to the future. The view was 
okay, so we're, we're alive now. We have bios now, and we have this age, this life, but we're going to die one day, and then after that, there's going to be the resurrection of the dead, and there'll be a new age and a new life, and eternal life then is something you get after you died and are raised from the dead. That was the view everybody held. Indeed, some people still hold that today. But Jesus, in the Gospel of John, and this would have blown people's mind, he uses life, eternal life, zoe, in the present tense. John is saying that the life of the future age, eternal life, God's life, has broken into the present, into our age, and is available to us. This is what Jesus said, John 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. He didn't say whoever believes in the Son one day will have eternal life. Eternal life isn't something you get when you die. It's something you get when you believe. And Jesus said he came to give it to us, John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life, Zoe, eternal life, and have it to the full. This is why John wrote his gospel, John 20, verse 31. Jesus performed, you know, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life, Zoe, eternal life in his name. Now, one of the reasons this is so important, and this has been pointed out, by a number of, of biblical scholars, uh, my two favorite, most trusted uh, scholars of John are Craig Keener and Richard Bauckham, and they both point this out in their work, that in the Gospel of John, the, the, the idea of life or eternal life plays the same role that the kingdom of God does in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is constantly proclaiming uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, and he's doing miracles, and the miracles are seen as demonstrations of the kingdom of God. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John, Jesus only even mentions the kingdom in one conversation. Towards the beginning, in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, he tells Nicodemus, unless you're born from above, you cannot see the kingdom. Unless you're born of the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom. And then he doesn't talk about the kingdom anymore. In fact, he's tied the kingdom to this language of life. If you're born again, born of the Spirit, it's, it's life. So in, the, in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, what's the kingdom? The kingdom, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a domain of a king, right? So the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. And Jesus says, I'm inaugurate, it's starting right now, but it's not yet consummated. So the kingdom of God has already started. It's already here. Jesus brought the kingdom. So we ought to be seeing things that go in tandem with the kingdom. But at the same time, we still live in a fallen, sinful world. The kingdom hasn't been consummated yet. There's still sickness out there. There's, have you noticed? There's still really, really cold days. We still do funerals here. You know there's coming a day in the fullness of the kingdom when there will be no more funerals. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more suffering. Every tear is going to be wiped away. And you know what's even better than that? All the wrongs will be made right. And every time of suffering in this life that you've gone through, it's going to be turned into glory that day. In the same way, when John uses, and Jesus is preaching in John, he talks about life. This is what he means. 
the new age has come. So new life, eternal life is already started. Now, it's not, are we where we're going to be in the end? No, that's going to be fully consummated. But we ought to be experiencing this kind of life today on some level, right? We ought to be living in this eternal life. So, so that's why this is important. Number two, where do you find this life? Well, life, according to the Gospel of John, is in Jesus. The text that Aiden read, John 1-4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John 5, 27, I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures today. You maybe don't even want to try to look them all up. Just write down the reference and drink them in. You know, that's, that is, that's a thing. I don't know if you know that or not, but you can, you, can, you can drink water like this, but you can also drink something in when you hear God's word, right? So John 5, verse 26, for as the father has life in himself... So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. So life is in Jesus. In fact, Jesus says he is the life. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. John 14, 6, first Bible verse I ever memorized my whole life. And Jesus answered him and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus says life is in him. He is the life. He promised us life. 1 John 2, 25. And this, this is an impossible verse to misinterpret. This is what he promised us, eternal life. And because of that, you know what? His words are life. John 6, 63, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. And Jesus says he gives life. John 6, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life. So let's review. Life is in Jesus. Jesus is the life. He promised us life. His words are life. He gives life. Thus, if you know Jesus, you know life. John 17, 3 in Jesus' prayer. Now, this is eternal life. He goes, I'm going to give you the definition right here. Here it is. Eternal, this is eternal life that they know you. He's talking to the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if you know Jesus, you no life, which means if you don't know Jesus, you don't know life. First John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So eternal life, real life, the life that you've always wanted. Every single one of you in, in here, you have a longing on the inside of you that never gets satisfied because there's this, there's this thing inside of you that's longing for eternal life that's only found in Jesus. Nothing else. I mean, if I had to add a fifth thing to every, that's true about every single person you ever meet, it would be this. Everybody you meet has a longing on the inside of them. We all have this desire for eternal life. And here's what's happening out there in the world. People are looking for life in money. They're looking to money to give them life. They're looking to fame. A lot of people are looking to sex, to family success. 
A lot of people looking to uh, have a respectable family uh, to be the place where they get life. A lot of people are looking to success in their career or power. And they think that if you get that stuff, that you will feel alive. And it's going to bring them the life they always dreamed of. But let me tell you something. Those things never fulfill. (laughs) They can be good things. But if you're trying to get your life from it, all it's going to do is addict you. Augustine said, our hearts are restless even in his prayer and, and the confessions. The, the book, the confessions, the whole thing is a, a prayer to God, the entire book. And he says, in one point, he says, our hearts are restless indeed until they find their rest in thee. Blaise Pascal, who lived much later than that, he said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every human being that will only be filled by the only one who can fill the whole universe. So maybe you're here today, and, and maybe you say, I, 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 that's, that's how I feel. I feel empty or numb or dead. Here's what you have to hear. Life is in Jesus. When you try to get life from all of that stuff or other people, let me tell you something. First of all, it's exhausting. And maybe because of that, you're, just, you're here today, and you're just like, I'm just I'm just tired. If that's you, I have no condemnation for you because I'm feeling a little bit tired myself. <laughs> Last couple months, woo! You know what Jesus said? Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What is he talking about? What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about life! So that, that's why life is important, and that's where you find it. Well, how do you get it? Well, the unequivocal answer in the Gospel of John is you get this life by believing in Jesus. Knowing Jesus by believing in Jesus. Listen to these scriptures. Again, you can just write down the references. John 3, 14 to 16. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. John 5.20, that's a hard verse. John 5.24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. John 6.47, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Is anybody seeing a theme here? Okay, that's what, that was the point. Again, the end of John, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Here's the deal. Jesus, okay, all right, this is my warning. I'm about to say a statement that is politically incorrect. But I'm warning you ahead of time so no one can be offended. Because that's a thing. <laughs> uh, not to be offensive, and then people say things offensive, you know. So, but this is the truth. This, I mean, this, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. 
And that's not an unloving thing to say. That is a loving thing to tell people. Jesus is the way to eternal life. So how would we apply all of this? Right? Because every message has got to have a so what, who cares, how does that affect me part of the sermon. This is it. So obviously, the first way I would apply this message is to invite you to place your trust in Jesus. To put your faith in Jesus Christ, to believe in him. And maybe if you're here today and you've never done that, you've never made that decision to put your trust in Christ, to believe Jesus, today is your day. It's the day of salvation. In just a moment, we're going to have an altar call, and it's going to be open, and, and there's going to be somebody to, to walk you through that and, and pray with you. And, and, and you can be born again. That's the first way. The second way I would, you know, just apply that is, you know, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I would say, um, since Jesus is pro-life, you should be pro-life. That, that, as, that as Christians, as believers, we ought to be for life. We, we ought to honor life. Because even if a baby's in the womb, it's made in the image of God. But, but not just that. When, when I say pro-life, I don't just mean we're going to be against abortion. I mean we're going to be against racism. That's part of being pro-life. We're, we're going to be against ageism. We're not going to dishonor the elderly. Because we're pro-life. I could keep going down this road, but you get the point. So the first application is, if you don't know Jesus yet, know Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Get born again. Get, put your faith in him. The second thing is, I would encourage you to be for life. But here's the third way. I'm going to unpack this a little bit more. There is another way that we can apply everything I just said. And Holy Spirit, I pray you help me here. Many of us here would say, I've already put my faith in Jesus. I've already placed my trust in Christ. But you are still listening to other voices that do not give life. In other words, you've said, yes, I believe Jesus is the life. But then you live as if he isn't. You live as if life is to be found in success. Life is to be found in having money. Life is to be found in, you know, having a certain haircut or wearing a certain pair of jeans or drinking this kind of beer or driving this kind of car. And you think that's where you get life. If you get power, if you have sex, if you have whatever, and what do you do? You strive for these things because you think those things will give you life and it's a lie. Those things are not going to make you okay. When you do that, you know what you're doing? You can say, I believe in Jesus, but when you're trying to get all these other things to make you okay, to go, I mean, it's okay to be me. When you're trying to get all of that, here's what you're doing. You're looking to someone or someone or something else other than Jesus to justify you. You're trying to get your identity from somebody else, your value from something else. You're, you're looking to something else to give you life. This was driven home to me this past couple weeks as I was studying this text, the prologue which we, said, we talked about last week, remember last week when we were cooking together in the kitchen and we were talking about how the prologue is, is structured identically to Genesis 1. And, and, and John does that on purpose. I'm reading along, I'm studying this, and we get to verse 4 that says, in him was life. And I read this in this commentary by Karen Jobes called John Through Old Testament Eyes, and here's what she wrote. Listen to this. This is brilliant. 
John's allusion to the Genesis creation account in the prologue reminds readers that God himself is the ground of all reality. In the account of the fall into sin, Adam and Eve chose to act on a virtual reality described by the word of the serpent when they ate from the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil, rejecting the word of God and plunging the human race into darkness and death. Ever after, it has been difficult for people to discern the truth of the spiritual reality God creates in a world when competing voices have grown so loud. The Genesis creation story reveals that God alone is the source of all life and that it is the responsibility of human beings to live in the world as God has defined it. Now, I love this analogy she uses. Let's just, let's play it. Let's riff on this analogy for a second. She, here's what she's saying. If real life is in Jesus, and if his word and what he says is real life, then listening to the serpent isn't pursuing real life. It's a virtual reality. Let's, let's you know, play with that analogy for a second. If you were to just look it up on the Wikipedia, what is virtual reality? It says that since the mid-1400s, virtual has had the meaning of being something in essence or effect, though not actually or in fact. Okay? The term virtual has been used in the computer sense as not physically existing but made to appear by software. Since, and that use has been since 1959. You guys probably know what virtual reality is. Um, a few years back, uh, Aiden bought one of those, is it Oculus is what you call it? The Oculus VR. Have you ever seen these? And, and it has like, you, you put it on and, and, you're, and it's a 300, wherever you look, it, it, you're in a, it's a whole different, it's a virtual reality, right? And, and so he got this one where it was a boxing thing. So what you, you put this thing over your face and, and you can't see anything in the real world. You're just seeing this virtual world. And then you have these things you have in your hands, right? And so he got a, because he was a boxer, one of the games he got was, was boxing, you know, so I got in there, you know, and, 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 you, and you're like, <laughs> and, 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 and you think you're in the MGM Grand fighting with, with like tens of thousands of adoring fans, right? They love you and they're cheering, knock him out, you know, bust his teeth, and, and you're fighting the heavyweight champion of the world, and you're in there and you're fighting, but you ain't really fighting anybody. It's a virtual reality. And you thought 20,000 people were cheering for you, but really, your wife and children were laughing at you. In fact, in fact, just to show you what it looks like, I have a video to show you me fighting. All right. Okay. In my defense, first of all, that was the end of the round, so I was tired. Number one. All right. Number two, I won that fight on a split decision. Just want you to know I won the fight. I won the fight. Now, here's my point. Why, why am I even bringing this up? Here's my point. That's not real life. That's virtual life. I, I, I wasn't actually in a ring. I wasn't actually fighting anybody. 
I didn't knock a guy down. I didn't win the belt. No, nobody was really, my wife and children were laughing at me. You heard them. They were laughing. <laughs> For good reason. It looked kind of funny because that's how you look when you're fighting a virtual reality that isn't real life. See, when Satan sets up a VR in your life, it might look real, it might feel real, it might smell real, it might taste real, but it's all a lie. He's trying to do what? He's trying to get you to live in a virtual reality of lies instead of the real, eternal life that Jesus gives. Let me just give you a few examples of how he does this, and then we'll be done. Just a few examples. Some of, this is some of Satan's virtual reality. Here's the first one. You can't trust God. That, that is a virtual reality he, he is trying to set up in your life. You can't trust God. You can't trust his heart. He's holding out on you. God's got some good things that he's, he's not going to give you. He's, you can't trust him. Which, by the way, is exactly what the serpent said to Adam and Eve. Did God really say, if you know, you eat this, you're going to die? No, you ain't going to die. He's setting up what? A virtual reality. You won't die. God knows that you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. What does that mean? God's holding out on you. You can't trust him. And that is a virtual reality that Satan tries to play into us. And you know, you know what he's doing? He goes, look, you better, take, you better take life in your own hands. You can't trust God, so you got to do it yourself. Here's another virtual reality that, that Satan tries to give. He says, God is punishing you. God, God's not, God, that's, that's virtual, that's not real. You say, well, how do you know God's not Here's how I know. God already punished Jesus for your sin. It's already paid for. And he's righteous, he's just. It would be unjust to demand two payments for the same sin. I, I, many years ago, I heard Tim Keller say this. Tim Keller, who went on to be with Jesus last year, and I'm very sad about that. But God and I have already talked about it. We're okay now. But t Tim Keller brought this up, and he said something that really resonated with me because that's how I used to think. Because I used to think that, you know, it says Jesus is interceding with the Father on our behalf, right, right now. And so I used to think that basically when I'd screw up, Jesus would be like, Father, please, can you just give perish another chance. I mean, have mercy. Please, just, just one more time. Just one more time. Have mercy on. That's how I used to think that intercession went. And I just wondered, how long is he going to be able to do that? I mean, I was like, because I messed up a lot of times. And, and, and Tim Keller, and he says, actually, that's not how the intercession goes. The intercession goes like this, because Hebrews says that he brought his blood into the holiest of holies. So the intercession goes like this, Father, I already paid for that. It's paid in full. And because you're righteous and just, you're not going to require two payments for the same sin. So I get off. Why? Because Jesus already paid the price. It's like I went, one time I was at Kroger. Has this ever happened to you? If you're married, this has. Uh, you're at Kroger, and you just paid out, and you're walking out, and you're you get a text from your wife saying, if you're still at Kroger, can you pick up whatever, right? Which, because she got five my friends when she says, if you're still at Kroger, that's just a nice way of her saying, I need you to do something for me. <laughs> so I look at, I just paid out, and I'm like, she needs, okay, so I go back in, I get the, the thing that I need to pick up, I'm going through to pay out, and the lady sees the other things I have in the bag, and she says, did you pay for those? And I say, yes, I did. I pull out my receipt. And she can't demand, because as soon as I paid for it, I own it. 
It's not hers to charge me for anymore. Listen, Jesus is in the Holy of Holies. with He's got the receipt. It's called his precious blood that was shed for us. So if Satan is trying to tell you that you're going through something because God's punishing you, that's a virtual reality. Now, yes, there, there is this thing called sowing and reaping. So you may have sowed some bad seed. So the thing to do is get some good seed. <laughs> Start throwing some good seed. Because you do reap what you sow, but that's, that's something totally different from God punishing. God's not punishing you. Here's another one. Here's another virtual reality. It's a big, it's a big one right here. You must earn God's favor or love. So you better work harder. Man, you better never rest. You better do more. You better never rest in his love. Man, this... This is a virtual reality that causes people to burn out as they serve the Lord. I mean, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and, and, and we're, we're burning out. I did. Look, I ain't judging anybody, but I burned out because I believe virtual reality that I could actually earn God's. Listen, God loves you more than anything you'll ever do for him. And some of you believe this virtual reality so much that if somebody came up to you and said, uh, I, and they're wealthy, right? They're a believer and they're really wealthy. And they said, you know what? I believe God wants you just to bask in his love for you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent a house on the beach for you for three months. And I want you for three months to sit on the beach and contemplate God's love for you. Some of y'all couldn't do that. My wife's going, I could do that. Send me. God, just, I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. I could do that. Most of y'all couldn't do that. Because on day two, if you got to day two, you'd be feeling guilty for doing that because you think you have to earn God's love. You think you got to do something to have God's favor rest on you. And what you got to do is believe in Jesus because he already did it. God's favor already rests on you because of Jesus. Which is another way of saying, believe the gospel. Here's another one. This will be the last one. You are insignificant. This is a virtual reality. It's not real. You're not enough. That's how this one goes. You're insignificant. You're not enough. You don't have enough. Everyone's going to forget you when you're gone. Because you're in significant. Let me tell you something. You know what? That's the, that's the lie of Satan. That's the virtual. Let me tell you what the truth is. The truth is you're made in the image of God. Jesus died on the cross for you. The most precious thing in the universe was given for you. Insignificant? Nothing could be more significant. Nothing. These are just a few examples. Listen, real, true, eternal life is found in Jesus, and he wants you to have it. He wants you to have the life, eternal life that he won on the cross. I'll close with this, John 10.10. John 10.10 in the Hawaiian pigeon translation. Okay? And if you don't believe this, look it up. It's at pigeonbible.org. Okay, John 10.10 in the Hawaiian pigeon. The stilaga, 
which is another way for the thief, right? The stealer guy, he only come for to steal, kill, and to bust up the place. <laughs> but I, when I come, I come so the people can come alive inside and live to the max. I like that. I think Jesus may have talked that way in Aramaic. He was like, Why did I, I came so that people would come alive inside and live to the max. That's eternal life. It's not, it's not just having a lot of stuff in this life. It's eternal life. And it is only found in Jesus.